Welcome to Driving Forces. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and I thank you for tuning in to WBAI today. Now, if you've been tuning into us or watching television, you know that the news is fast moving and the news I'd normally be covering is largely backburnered because of the health and safety of our country and our world and our city. I mean, that's now just paramount concern. We'd normally be focused on the presidential race in this hour and this week's results that have catapulted Joe Biden even further towards securing the Democratic nomination and Bernie Sanders' future plans to potentially stay in this race even longer to advance the issues that he deeply cares about. Now, if you hadn't heard, Tulsi Gabbard dropped out, suspended her campaign, and today endorsed Joe Biden. The presidential race is on a holding pattern, and President Trump as well remains in Washington to confront the coronavirus. All of our elected officials, our top elected officials, are holding news conferences. What's going on right now is Mayor de Blasio is still holding a teleconference in which up until the start of this show, he still had not revealed the number of exact cases that New York City is facing. But it, the most recent numbers before that had been that there were about 4,000 cases here in New York City. In the country, there's now more than 10,000. And the State Department's now been recommending that American citizens who are abroad just either return home now or stay in place as this pandemic just continues to grow. So some of the latest numbers that occurred a few hours ago uh, is uh, that there were Let's see. According in New York City, this is hours ago because now they're saying 4,000. They were saying it was about 3,600, that there were 1,871 last night, including 22 fatalities. The majority of them at that time had been in Brooklyn, uh, followed by uh, Queens, uh, or rather Manhattan and then Queens. Um, and as of last night, hundreds hospitalized and about 169 were in the ICU. The mayor's press conference, just from what I heard before this show started, he had basically said that continue, he continually said that we're waiting for federal help. We're all trying to make sense of this new reality. And I'm not going to basically give you any false reassurances. This is going to be one of the most difficult moments in our city's history, unlike anything we've ever seen outside of wartime, uh, outside of the Great Depression. Uh, and as he indicated, and as we're just seeing, we're uh, we know it's going to reach very deep into our communities. He did. He, he really went after Donald Trump once again, saying that you are the Herbert Hoover of your generation. You're basically missing every chance to protect our nation. And here in the city, more locally, uh, a few more uh, incidents are be of prominent officials are being reported. I'm sure our listeners who are familiar with Richie Torres being on our station, he has indicated he's the New York City Council member that he has tested positive. And then today it was disclosed that another council member, Inez Barron, had tested positive. Now, earlier, her husband, state assemblyman and former city council member Charles Barron, disclosed that he had tested positive. The goals that our elected officials are advancing are to slow the spread and flatten the curve and increase the capacity of our hospitals to treat people. And there's been talk or should I say debate about whether we should shift to shelter in place, which is something that Mayor de Blasio has talked about, but that Governor uh, Cuomo had uh, dismissed, saying it's just 
a scary time for people. Also, a lot of the concern is what parents are facing in our city involving their children who are now home from school being being homeschooled at this point. Uh, and also when we speak of older students, those who are in college, that brings me to our first guest today. So after a week-long academic recess prompted by the outbreak of COVID-19, CUNY, the largest, the country's largest urban public university system, today resumed classes employing distance learning modalities, including online instruction. So joining me now to talk about this is CUNY's Chancellor Felix Matos Rodriguez. Welcome back to WBAI. Uh, thank you, Jeff, for having me in, in your show. Great, great to be with you. So first, from the outset, talk a little about what is happening now, what uh, CUNY has prepared for as far as online instruction and distance learning. Yeah, so we have uh, over uh, about 50,000 courses uh, that we had to convert, and uh, we, you know, did it uh, with that week of, of recess that we just completed. And uh, I'm incredibly proud of the work that the faculty, the staff, the students have done in that week to get ready uh, for this new uh, chapter in, 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 in our history to to do 95% uh, of those courses uh, online or, or hybrid. So it, it's been a, a, you know, a monumental endeavor, 20,000 faculty. Um, you know, we have 275,000 students, and, uh, but we're very proud. We started today, and most of the feedback has been positive, as always, as something that, that large, um, uh, there's been some hiccups, and, and uh, you know, we also have to account that, that uh, you know, we're, we're dealing with a very, very difficult time, uh, you know, for the city and for the country. Uh, but, um, you know, we, we want to protect the semester. We want to make sure that our students uh, complete their educational plans, that their financial aid is, is stays intact, and, and this distance learning modality allows to do this also in a way that, uh, is consistent with the safety and the health of our students and our faculty. So uh, it's, it's, it's been an intense week of work, and, and, uh, and we have a lot of work ahead of us. But, um, uh, you know, we're New Yorkers, and this is how we, uh, how we respond to this crisis. And, you know, as we speak, the mayor's press conference still is going on. He had not given numbers up until now. Uh, you know, he's probably doing it while we're doing the show right now. Uh, and uh, you had mentioned also there are hiccups there, you know, with everyone because no one could have prepared for this. What have been some of the challenges in developing this plan for CUNY? Well, I mean, we, we had to make sure that first both the students were ready uh, to navigate the change uh, in, in, in the way that the faculty would set up the courses and let it be uh, through the platform that we use in Blackboard, make sure that the students, uh, you know, many of them are, are used to working with that, right? But to make sure everybody was and that we expanded capacity because we're going to have a lot more users uh, going into the system. Uh, so that took some training and, and some work. And on the faculty side, we have some faculty that are, you know, very familiar with, with this uh, modality of teaching, uh, some not so much. So we had to invest in training. It was really, really remarkable to see. And I think it's been a sign of how the city has responded to this crisis. You know, people really helping each other and faculty that are more experienced coming and saying, here's my course outline, this is how you do it, here's how you use the technology, uh, learning to use, you know, WebEx and all the different kinds of, um, of technology. And, and um, uh, so, you know, there's work to be, there's work to be continued to, to be done. This is a learning curve. 
And, and if you think about that our job is to prepare students for the future, uh, what better preparation than this adaptation into a new environment, which is what we're all facing. So um, a lot of work, but again, uh, a lot of pride in the way that people have come together and, and, uh, and support the students. And, and the other part, uh, Jeff, has been also planning, you know, uh, many of our students do not have access to a laptop and a device. Some live in communities where the broadband access is very limited. So part of what we have to do is to prepare some spaces on our campus. We, we want to have the least amount of people visiting and going to our campuses, but we have had to prepare uh, some limited spaces, computer labs, uh, so that those students who do not have access to the technology can also complete, uh, complete the semester. So I'm also very proud of the way that our staff has kept uh, student success in mind. And I know having uh, been, you know, an education reporter at New York One, the news and the post, having covered uh, CUNY, a lot of the students uh, are working while they're going to school, often part-time, and likely extremely concerned about income at this time as well, too. Have you had a number of students seeking reimbursement because they're not going to be able to continue uh, this semester? Because now they're also worried about how they're going to be able to put food on the table and make ends meet. I mean, so far, um, not not so much. I, I would imagine that maybe some are sort of waiting to see how the how the conversion goes, right? In in terms of how they experience uh, that. But in some way, uh, this allows them the maximum level of flexibility in terms of being able to juggle uh, all the things that they uh, now have to, um, you know, um, maybe they're having their kids at home. Uh, so in some way, this provides a maximum level of flexibility. Uh, for them to be able to, you know, finish that semester, you know, think about those students that have just one semester to go, right? And that diploma is going to be the key for that next job. Uh, so we haven't seen uh, that much of that. And, and, and at the end of the day, if we get them, we, we're going to, you know, there's a moment to be as flexible as, as, as we can, right? Because we're all trying to navigate uh, a crisis. And, um, and this is where, uh, where CUNYSAT is best in, in, in being creative and, and adaptive and, and again, balancing the health and safety of our, our faculty, staff, and students, and, and being able to complete the semester. And my assumption also is that not all course selections can easily be moved to distance learning. So how do you accommodate that? <clears throat> so there's a very small proportion of courses, and you think mostly about, uh, for example, labs, right, uh, where uh, it's been more challenging to make the conversion. In those cases, we are trying to find always an online alternative, simulation labs and some of those facilities. Uh, where we cannot do it, then we're really limiting the class size uh, to keep the social distance and all the uh, sort of safety protocols to, to make that happen. So we are trying to make those uh, be almost zero, uh, but if we do have to, uh, will be uh, limiting the, the, the class size and uh, using social distance and, and, and all the guidelines that, that we're hearing to, to, keep, uh, to keep people safe. And, I mean, obviously I I'd, I'd read your news release, so I see that there are still, there are, in addition to what you had just mentioned, there are some other types of centers, for instance, that are open while libraries might be closed. Uh, you've, you've taken under consideration, into consideration child care centers. Yeah, and, and that, that has been uh, twofold. First, uh, actually, we don't have the, the large number of, of uh, sort of children in those daycare centers. 
we've kept them open uh, in part because we anticipate, you know, the City University of New York is not just a university. It's, it's, it's an indispensable anchor institution in New York. And um, if, if the governor and, and the mayor need additional support for our first responders in terms of their needs, uh, we want our, our daycare centers to be available to be supportive uh, because that's how we all respond to, to the crisis. Uh, we've kept, for example, some of our food pantries open. I got a couple of emails from students thanking me uh, for that because that's the only place they could get um, some food for their families. So uh, this, this is about education, but it's also about uh, supporting all New Yorkers in a time of crisis. And, um, and I'm so proud of the way that uh, the entire administrative team and everybody in the university has come together and, and, and rally and, and say we're here to be supportive. And uh, I just, you know, have a few minutes left with you. I'm wondering that what happens now through the end of this semester, obviously, students are wondering what to do about this summer or this fall if they were planned to go to CUNY schools. What should they be looking out for? So uh, uh, stay tuned to, to our website in the different campuses. And uh, because, I mean, some of that, right, will be determined by how we navigate the, the crisis. We hope that we can protect uh, the summer for the students that want to be able to participate, and, and uh, we're continuing the admission process. So we hope to have uh, many, many, many students in, in the fall, too. Uh, but I think same, same for you, right? I mean, uh, we are sort of moving day to day as this crisis unfolds and, and trying to be adaptive. And, and uh, so I would just tell people to, to stay tuned, and we hope to make decisions on that fairly, fairly soon. So... You know, and my final question, I'm just thinking about even in my own life and everyone that I've talked with over the last few days, there is a lot of concern, a lot of fear out there. On a very personal level, you know, how does, you know, what has been going through your mind as you lead this system, but also in your life about how you've had to adjust the way you go about your day? And, and, and what message do you want to send to those who are part of the CUNY system moving ahead? Well, I mean, first, thanks for just an incredible show of, of solidarity um, and, 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 uh, and of hard work uh, in the way that we have adapted to, to, this, uh, to this crisis. And, and there's always, you know, in, in our mind, that balance between the safety uh, and health of, of all the participants in our, in our system and then also how do you keep the academic continuity and the semester and the semester going. Um, some students have also thanked us, not just because we're protecting the semester, but because this is one way in which they, they, they cope with the uncertainty and uh, with the limitations, right, of, of, of being more constrained, and the classes give them a way to have some sense of, uh, of, of continuity. So uh, I think that uh, we have to remember that we're all together, and, and the solidarity and the teamwork that I've seen uh, you know, makes me very hopeful about the way that the city will continue to navigate this this crisis, and um, and so proud to be part of the CUNY family. Chancellor Matos Rodriguez, I'd like to thank you so much uh, uh, last minute's notice and participating in today's uh, episode of Driving Forces. Thank you no, so much. Thank, thank you for all you do, Jeff. Take care. Stay safe. Thank you. So uh, coming up shortly on WBAI's Driving Forces, I'm going to be joined by two members of Congress. First up will be Vet Clark in about another 10 minutes or so, uh, who we originally had booked to talk about Women's History Month and her, uh, and her career. But we're going to shift a bit to how Congress has been addressing the coronavirus. And then uh, later in the show, 
we will be joined by Congress member Max Rose, uh, because one of the things he has been doing was he, as well as other members of Congress, were pushing the president to ensure that there were more resources provided uh, to New York City and state, including bringing in a military hospital ship. And actually, there's been developments on that, that uh, this ship is going to be dispatched to New York Harbor to have about a thousand hospital beds. But according to some of the reports that I've read about, and we'll ask the Congress member about this, that the ship that is destined to arrive here apparently is undergoing maintenance. So it's not even ready to deploy right now. So it could take several weeks for it to get here. Uh, and so while President Trump has said he'd invoke the Defense Production Act to get industries to manufacture medical equipment and supplies, he then said he wouldn't use his powers to force such a ramp up yet. So while this is going on, I'm wondering about our WBAI listeners, as you've been out there, if you are not socially isolating yourself yet or distancing yourself yet, and you're not staying indoors, if you've been walking around, I'm curious what you have been seeing. Uh, and if we have time near the end of the show, I, I'd love to invite you to call in today. Next week, I'm hoping to have much more ability to uh, have callers call in. Uh, what I'm doing, just so you know, is WBAI has been fantastic, and I want to thank Reggie Johnson, who's the engineer right now, who's setting this up. I'm doing the show remotely from my home in Jackson Heights, Queens, and I've walked around the neighborhood, and it's been devastating, really, to see a number of these businesses that are closed and suffering. I went to my local coffee shop, Espresso 77, where which is basically – Give, you know, selling coffee and goods right now, but you can't sit in there. And they've told me that they've really had a difficult time getting customers in there. But I understand why people are afraid or are panicking. Um, you know, one of the – I ripped out a number of articles this morning from all the local papers, and it's interesting to see how people are reacting. And I'm sure it's gone through your minds as some people are, are stockpiling food and toilet paper. There's a story in Newsday that many of the store owners – are basically saying that in addition to sanitizers and masks, uh, that gun owners are saying that their businesses have sold out of firearms over the past week because customers are inundating retailers and buyers are saying they're fearful of potential of potential lawlessness if this pandemic escalates in the region. I mean, this was something I hadn't even thought of. I will say that the local liquor stores, I read this, uh, an article out in the Hamptons, uh, that what was taking place in the Hamptons was the liquor stores were selling out of, of a lot of liquors. People are, are basically wallowing at home, but also isolating themselves and wondering how long they may have to stay inside. And we'll talk with our, our guests uh, also about the debate over shelter you know, shelter in orders, shelter in place orders, because that's something that Mayor de Blasio talked about, but that Governor Cuomo immediately had shot down. And in his news conference earlier today, it seemed as if he was also directing his criticism, but overreacting by sheltering in place uh, to uh, the Mayor de Blasio on this. And I mean, there was even another piece that I had read uh, just discussing how other regions are doing this now uh, and that it is not you know, uh, as troublesome, let's see, Italy, Hoboken, Palm Springs, California, even the San Francisco Bay Area, nearly 70 million people living under mandatory lockdowns, these shelter in place orders to stay at home and, and limit the coronavirus infections. So when I was listening to the mayor's news conference right before we started this show, 
you know, he did talk, you know, he was leading into, he wasn't coming out with the facts right away, but by stating about how he wants to basically give everyone the, the new sense of the new reality, that this is a new world. I'm here not, you know, not to give you any false reassurance. Uh, he talked about the difficulties in our history. Uh, he had not gotten to the numbers yet. So hopefully by the end of the show, I'll be able to get some of them for you. Uh, but he was saying that this could be outside of wartime, one of the most problematic moments that, uh, you know, that this city and frankly, our country uh, will see. So I talked about the business, Espresso 77, what's been in my mind. I work with nonprofits every day and a lot of them are struggling right now because not just because of their own staff, but because of the people that they serve. And uh, one of the organizations I work with is the Queens Chamber of Commerce. They're also dealing with a lot of businesses here in Queens that are suffering right now. I've made a point of ordering from my local establishments now, but it's beyond just the businesses. It's about the revenue that comes into the city. And I don't know if you heard, but there's a leading financial watchdog, the Citizens Budget Commission. They issued a report that basically had said the city could lose about $5 billion in revenue just in the upcoming fiscal year. And that's based on that analysis was based on two prior recessions. But unlike those, unlike those downturns of the past, this fiscal crisis was hastened by orders from the city government. And that's what suddenly brought unprecedented challenges to the city's economy. It wasn't as if they had predicted this or, or had expected and started to plan for it. And a lot of this, think about it. All the bars and restaurants, which is the staple of our city's nightlife, were basically ordered to shut down or only provide uh, takeout. Broadway movie theaters, they've all gone dark. That's by order of the state. And the travel restrictions have gotten tougher and tougher. Uh, the travel restrictions from started with Europe, partial closure of the Canadian border, and then increasingly stringent rules on domestic trips. That's a, you know essentially the hospital hospitality industry is now in free fall. So we've got about a few more minutes before the Congress member calls in. If, uh, if you would like to call in, uh, I could take a call. That's 212-209-2877. You're listening to WBAI's Driving Forces. Uh, we're also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. We're focusing on the coronavirus and the latest developments today. A little while ago, I talked to the, uh, the CUNY Chancellor, Felix Matos Rodriguez, and we'll be joined in short order by uh, Congress Member Yvette Clark, followed by Congress Member uh, Max Rose to close out our show today. I was just talking about all the bars and restaurants basically having to close except if they were doing uh, delivery or takeout. But even as I walked around my neighborhood, I noticed a number of them had just shut their doors, that they were they were basically going to have to. My sense is a lot of them are going to have to lay off staff long term if they cannot continue to pay them. I walked into one establishment in Astoria yesterday, Saks, uh, Saks Place, which had just opened up a few months ago. And I was talking with one of the co-owners and he said, you know, they're getting some takeout orders, but not that much. And you wonder after we get through this and they're saying experts are saying this could go on for 18 months. There could be this could be in phases or in waves. Uh, you know how many what the face of our city and our state and our country is going to look like. Many household names or familiar spots that you go to may no longer be in existence. One of the other steps that just took place a little while ago was our city council speaker, Corey Johnson. 
He just offered a proposal or proposed a $12 billion plan. That's a relief plan to help our businesses and workers who were impacted by this pandemic. It, was, it has several components to it, but it includes a temporary universal basic income for all New Yorkers, also temporarily deferring fees, refunding business taxes, up to, and up to about um, a quarter of a million dollars to cover fixed costs for those businesses that were impacted. And it also includes something that's interesting, unemployment protections for those who have had their hours cut, as well as gig economy and freelance workers. And Johnson had called for the plan to be paid for by the federal government. If the government fails, if the federal government does not step up, uh, he's saying that this can be funded by bonds. And he cites history that the city, the city has a history of selling bonds to rebuild its economy after its disaster. Think about after 9-11. It was the boost that New York City had needed while we waited on federal aid to come through. And that was integral to our ability to begin immediately to begin the cleanup and the recovery. So the council estimates that about 500,000 workers and more than 40,000 businesses are in the industry's hardest hit during the uh, COVID-19 crisis. These businesses generated about $40 billion in taxable sales last year. So let me go to my next guest, Congresswoman Yvette Clark, the representative of the 9th Congressional District of New York. She's vice chair of the, Power, the Powerful Energy and Commerce Committee, member of the Homeland Security Committee, and she's been a member of the Congressional Black Caucus since joining Congress in 2007. And she also chairs the Immigration Task Force while acting as an active member of its Census 2020 Task Force. Congressmember Clark, thank you so much for joining me here on WBAI. Great to be with you. I'm sorry it's under these circumstances. I know. And originally when I had uh, invited you on the show, it was to talk about Women's History Month. So I will find an opportunity to get to that. If not today, we will come back to that because I do know that uh, you have a lot of accomplishments and I did not want to limit it just to coronavirus. But I guess right now what's on everyone's minds is where do we go from here? And I think about Congress that currently Congress is continuing to go about business more or less as usual, but with added precautions. Can you talk a little about the scene right now and how you've had to adjust your work in your district as well as in Congress? Absolutely. Uh, the House of Representatives went into a one-week recess on Saturday after having voted on the uh, Families First uh, Responder Bill uh, to make sure that we can get free coronavirus testing out to the public and that we could address you know, paid sick leave, uh, paid family leave, medical leave, and a whole host of uh, other measures as we uh, move into sort of this next phase of uh, the coronavirus outbreak in our nation. Uh, I, uh, along with many of my colleagues, are uh, basically uh, following the instructions of our public health infrastructure by uh, uh, exercising social distancing, by uh, doing uh, our work remotely. And so it's been a major shift in how we go about actually doing our business, a lot of conference calls, uh, trying to make sure that we are getting as much information from our local jurisdictions up to the federal level to help us to 
shape what is inevitably going to be a third uh, round of support to the American people, to American small business, uh, and, and to uh, the healthcare infrastructures of our communities uh, as we continue to battle this crisis. So I had read that House Speaker uh, Nancy Pelosi had said last week that members of Congress would be the last to leave like captains of a ship. You know, what goes on a very personal level, this affects every one of us. How do you feel about this process and how have you been impacted by coronavirus? Right. Well, we have to uh, make sure that uh, we try to keep ourselves as healthy as possible because the work of the people has to uh, continue uh, we have an occupational hazard being uh, people of the public and in the public. And so uh, it's so very important that we, too, adhere to as much of the protocols of uh, health and safety as we possibly can in order to remain healthy enough to help others. Uh, it has impacted me directly. Uh, fortunately, I was informed that one of my staff uh, has contracted the coronavirus and that staff exposed themselves to other staff members. So we are all, uh, many of my staff members, I wouldn't say we are all, but many of my staff members are already in self-quarantine as a result of that. Um, it, and that's part of the challenges that, uh, you know, we, until we un unpack and un out roll out uh, as much testing as we possibly can, uh, it's, it's going to be very challenging for us to flatten the curve, as has been already stated. Uh, I've been affected by other colleagues, uh, you know, contracting the virus. And so uh, while it has not hit home directly for me personally, uh, the way that I would actually go about getting business done has been impacted as our uh, staff has to work remotely and have to worry about their own health and well-being and that of their families and the extended community. So there was a point where I think it was in the president's speech the other day, not today, but the other day he was saying it's not a time for partisan politics. But, you know, I do wonder how people feel that our, our elected officials are handling this, the mayor, the governor, but also the president. How do you feel his Hello? administration and in particular the president has responded to this crisis? I think we're disconnected. Oh, are you there? Uh, I'm here. I'm here. I'm sorry. Ah, I, okay. I was. Oh, I was asking how you feel the president has responded to this crisis. Well, uh, you know, it, it, what they call a day late and a dollar short. I'm, I'm glad that he his eyes have been open to uh, the fact that we are uh, at the beginning of a crisis that requires a robust federal response. Uh, you know, we, uh, members of the House of Representatives, recognized very early on because of our proximity uh, to the actual virus and what was happening in our own districts, knew that we had to do far more than he was calling for. If you remember, the very first response we did was to pass an $8.3 billion package to, you know, really ramp up for what we knew was going to be a battle on the ground uh, to, to, you know, arrest this, this virus. Uh, you may also recall that Donald Trump only requested $2.3 billion. That's 
how uh, he was underestimating things. Uh, you know, we finally, I think, have, have gotten his attention uh, and that of uh, others in the Trump administration uh, to understand the urgency with which we have to act uh, in order to uh, flatten the curve and to arrest uh, the virus. Uh, you know, we, we can only move forward from here. We, we can't go back to relitigate at this moment because clearly – we have to be in this as people of goodwill and good faith, not as people of political parties, because we are all affected irrespective of what party we're in. And, and right now, our energies really have to be focused on making sure that the people who live in our communities recognize the urgency of this, not to drive fear, but to drive action into people to practice social distancing to sanitize their environments, their hands, uh, you know, constantly wash their hands, make sure that they are keeping themselves safe and uh, minimizing their interactions with others so that we can flatten this curve. So in introducing you, I noted that you're a member of the Census 2020 Task Force. Do you think there need to be changes in terms of the census 2020 as a result of this? Because there is a lot of concern. There was concern already that we'd have a serious undercount given the administration's actions on immigration. But now, given coronavirus, there may people's minds are elsewhere. Well, you know, as you as you may know, this week actually marked the start of the 2020 census. We. Uh, got an obligation not to compound the crisis by also missing this window of opportunity to do our civic duty and be counted. Uh, you know, this will impact uh, our communities for the next 10 years. And, you know, the ability to mobilize resources in a, pub a public health crisis like the one we're currently experiencing, if we have a shortfall in our count, uh, but will repeat itself. And so we have got to, while we have uh, folks somewhat captive, encourage them to go online, fill out the census, so that we can maximize on our ability to marshal the resources, not only for public health uh, uh, reasons, but for all of what we're going to need to do to actually rebuild our nation going forward. Uh, there are real-time implications of us uh, really focusing in on uh, managing both the crisis and public health, but doing our civic duty as we're able to uh, really maximize our numbers in filling out the 2020 census. Uh, what I have done is I took the lead along with the uh, members of the New York delegation to reach out to Secretary Wilbur Ross at the Commerce Department uh, and uh, asking that he extend the census enumeration window. We know that uh, the uh, whole construct for uh, filling out the census this year was a dramatic shift to self-responding through uh, use of the Internet or by phone. And so we want to make sure that, uh, you know, we can get as many people who have access to the internet and broadband to do that now and also to call in 
if they don't have access. But, it, you know, the Ninth District of New York is a what you call hard-to-count uh, district. And yeah, yeah. historically, we've come in with an undercount. So, you know, all of the activities that we had planned, which would have uh, required that people sort of, uh, you know, congregate, have had to be uh, canceled, uh, understandably so. And so we're now coming up with other methods of getting the word to people and encouraging them to fill out their census. It takes 10 minutes, it's 10 questions, and to do it online or to call in. And there'll be a concerted effort along with instructing people on how to stay safe during this outbreak uh, to get that done. So, Congress member, we only have a few minutes left, and I'm wondering also, because of where all of our minds are at right now, if you think, you know, we're in the middle of a presidential race, do you think the presidential primary in New York State should be, uh, should be pushed back? Well, there, there are questions about how we could actually uh, conduct a, 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 an election, notwithstanding the fact that we have early vote in New York now, without... Uh, uh, actually uh, being in violation of the social distancing uh, and numbers of, of congregating yeah. people uh, that we are uh, being asked to observe. Uh, I think that we are certainly in the height right now of uh, what we expect will be further positive uh, IDs of people who have this virus uh, and we're fortunate in that um, there are uh, there's going to be another election coming up in June. I know that there's been some conversations about possibly moving the uh, the presidential primary uh, to be congruent with the congressional and state primaries coming up in June. I think that that may buy us enough time so that we're looking at all methods of people being able to, uh, to register their votes, uh, maybe even coming up with a process by mail that uh, could uh, help us to meet our uh, civic responsibility, our constitutional responsibilities, while not putting uh, lives in jeopardy in terms of our, our physical presence at the polls. Have you endorsed anyone in the election yet, in the presidential yet? I, I had not. I, I didn't expect us uh, to be where we are right now in terms of a singular focus on lifting uh, our nation uh, from uh, this, uh, this horrible outbreak. Uh, and quite frankly, I've, I've not really focused on, uh, w you know, what, what my next steps will be in terms of, the uh, electoral uh, process and determining, you know, which candidate to support at this stage. I think that uh, we're all, uh, at least many of us, are looking at, uh, you know, what's happening uh, with respect to the elections overall and how that uh, many of them have, many primaries have already been canceled and what that actually means in terms of uh, the franchise and determining ultimately 
prove uh, a, a viable di- Democratic presidential nominee would be uh, given the, the new realities that we're all faced with. So uh, I'd love to have you back another time, but I do want to acknowledge, uh, because we've just got about a minute or two left, uh, you are for re-election. And I wanted to give you an opportunity just to tell our listeners why you feel you deserve to be re-elected. Well, my work is not done, and, and I'd like to thank you for this opportunity. Uh, we're in the, ma- the midst of a, a huge task, uh, unifying uh, our community is, is what's most important. Uh, uni- unifying meaning uh, looking out for our neighbors, making sure that they remain healthy, keeping social distance from one another, doing our part to flatten this curve. And there are a whole host of um, real-time issues that are bearing down on us all simultaneously, whether it's the economic uh, stress, strain, and crisis that many within the district are feeling now as uh, we've had to uh, shut down certain industries in order to uh, maintain, uh, you know, some control over the social dynamics of our society. And I'm the best positioned out of all of my colleagues to to move us through this crisis given uh, my uh, level of seniority in the House of Representatives, the work that I do both as vice chair of the Energy and Commerce Committee and an active member of the Homeland Security Committee. And I think that, uh, you know, if this is time for us to unite. Uh, it's not time for us uh, to uh, be distracted uh, in, uh, in ways that are not moving us forward uh, as a district and as a community. And so uh, I'm seeking reelection uh, because I know that the work ahead of us is uh, work that's currently in progress uh, in the House of Representatives and in the Senate to not only take us uh, through this crisis, but to rebuild uh, as we look at how our economy is impacted by this uh, virus, how our public health uh, system uh, was uh, dismantled and and fractured in a way in which uh, it did not give us the footing we needed to really get out ahead of this crisis. And uh, there's no one uh, in this race that has uh, that forward-leaning ability to move us beyond this uh, other than myself at this moment. And so uh, I would want to encourage uh, your listeners and those who reside in the Ninth District of New York uh, to follow the work that we're doing on at VoteEvet.com or at VoteEvet on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are keeping uh, voters up to speed on what is taking place and constituents overall. Uh, in touch with resources so that they can, uh, to the extent that's possible, create a space of, um, of, of normalcy and a spirit of uh, conquering uh, these challenges that are before us. Congresswoman Yvette Clark, I want to thank you so much for joining me here on WBAI today. 
It's absolutely my honor, my privilege. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I want to get right to my next guest, another member of Congress, Army veteran and former nonprofit healthcare executive who serves in New York's 11th Congressional District, representing Staten Island and South Brooklyn. I'm talking about Max Rose, who's been on our show before. Congressman, welcome back to WBAI. Well, thank you so much for having me. I guess, I mean, the topic of the day, coronavirus. Tell me a little about, tell our listeners about what you're hearing from constituents in your district, the impact, how it's affecting them, and the challenges. Well, look, the, the impact certainly can't be overstated. People are feeling afraid. Um, people are losing their jobs. People are fearful of losing their jobs. And so the question is, what do we do? Um, and there can be no resource limitations, and there should certainly be no limitations presented by issues of partisanship or government structure. So really this problem and the solution falls into three different buckets. One, we've got to address lab processing. I wrote a letter to the FDA uh, 10 days ago urging them to approve automated processing of the um, – of these tests, and they did, they did just that. They also allowed for the New York State Department of Health to approve labs to initiate this processing. The second is social distancing and social behavior in general, and that is not just the most vulnerable populations. We have to also significantly influence the behavior of young people and healthy people who could be asymptomatic carriers. That is how this disease spreads. Everybody has a role to play. And then lastly, we've got to look at hospital capacity. We have to prepare our system for what looks now to be an inevitable surge in serious patients that need to be hospitalized. We have to ramp up uh, ventilator production, and we also have to make sure that there's more beds available here in New York. One way that we can do this, and we successfully pushed this, uh, I led an effort, to uh, bring their, a naval hospital with 1,000 beds to New York Harbor. The president agreed uh, in consultation with the governor, and that vote will be here um, in a short period of time. We cannot let any stone unturned as we wage war on this horrendous virus. And you've been quoted saying we need the full force of government working together to combat the coronavirus. Do you feel the president and his administration has handled this well, was behind the eight ball? Um, how would you describe his re his response to this? Look, first of all, it's clear as day that the, the administration did not react quickly enough. Uh, the test model cases for how this could have been addressed can be found in South Korea and Taiwan, where they took this very seriously upon learning of this crisis in China, um, immediately applied a resource-driven, analytical, science-based approach. Uh, conversely, here in uh, America, we rejected the World Health Organization's COVID test. Um, we failed to uh, print or manufacture a successful test and then disseminate it and uh, manufacture it at much higher levels. And then lastly, uh, the, the language has been totally off, calling it a Chinese virus, saying that it is a hoax. But we cannot afford to waste much time looking backwards. We shouldn't be uh, spending time on a retrospective right now because we are in the middle of a crisis. So now this is about how do we unite together. 
to solve this, not because this disease, this virus doesn't see Democrats, doesn't see Republicans, doesn't see race, creed, religion. It just sees humans. And we have to connect and unite across all different lines to fight this and overcome it. And you consider every part of our lives that is impacted by this. You also uh, express concern about veteran students, and the House just took action on a measure to assist those. Can you talk a little about that? Absolutely. Um, and, again, what, what has been um, truly amazing to see is how fast government can move when it's in the midst of a crisis. Hopefully we can maintain that sense of urgency when we do overcome this. Um, but it, it was a very serious issue that as many colleges shut down early and moved to a distance-based learning model, I, that veterans getting the GI Bill would see a dramatic reduction in their basic housing allowance, which is a critical facet of the GI Bill. And uh, we were able to um, push legislation in both the House and the Senate. Uh, it's uh, passed in both bodies and will be signed by the president to make sure that veterans, uh, that their basic housing allowance is preserved um, and they are not sidelined by unnecessary economic difficulties caused by a virus that no one could predict. So, I mean, for myself and so many people that I've talked with over the last few days, it's just people are really scared. And on a very personal level, how is this impacting you? What's been going through your mind when you think of your family, your friends, and your community? I mean, uh, elected officials aren't immune from that from that fear, and certainly their families aren't either. Um, you know, to have difficult conversations with uh, older members of your family and inform them that it's best that they stay home. Uh, it's best that we have no physical interaction until this subsides. Those are difficult conversations to have, but they're absolutely necessary in order for us to overcome this. We all play a part. We all have to play a part in overcoming this. There is no other way to get this done. Um, but I retain the, the confidence and optimism that that has made this country the best country in the history of the world. There's nothing that we can't overcome when we put our mind to it, when we resource it, and when we have a plan. Uh, we're Americans. We can get this done. Congressman Max Rose, I want to thank you so much for joining me here today. Can you just let our listeners know if they want to learn more about you and find resources uh, to your office, if they need to get in touch, where they should go? Yes, yes. Reach out to my website, uh, and our, our contact information is uh, fully listed there. Max Rose, uh, also Max Rose for Congress, is also another website with some interesting policy ideas as well. And I will have you back another time uh, to talk about your campaign because I want to get a lot of folks on. So I do appreciate you at last minute's notice as well joining us here on WBAI today. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. So the congressman's focus, he said, you know, and the electeds that I've talked with as well, they're focusing on some very similar things, such as increasing the ability uh, for people to get tested, automatic testing approvals, uh, like drive-through locations. And in fact, he had put out a news release that uh, the first drive-through coronavirus testing site had opened today, Thursday, on Staten Island. Uh, you should check his website. That'll have a release that gives the location on that. It's also about increasing testing supplies, but also the other point he raised uh, when discussing 
the request for the president to send a 1,000 bed naval hospital ship to the city is to increase hospital hospital capacity because our hospitals are are crying that they are do do not have enough or will not have enough resources. Uh, near me in Elmhurst, I had just read a short while ago that they're going to set up a hospital uh, emergency tent as well. This naval ship, when it arrives here in the city with a thousand beds, will be another location. And the other key thing is supporting those who are impacted and on the front lines. And one of the key things he's been pushing for is the Defense Production Act Authority for Supplies, uh, also economic support for workers and small businesses and uh, veteran student housing. A lot of people are also incredibly concerned about their jobs. And uh, just a short while ago, uh, the state labor department had reported that just by noon today, they received more than 206,000 logins on their website and 159,000 calls. That's just for today. And many people have apparently been complaining they can't even get through over the last few days. Think about all the resources that we take for granted that are now being strained, including, think about it, our internet capacity. If many of you have tried to have conference calls noting that they haven't necessarily worked as well, our internet providers are also uh, dealing with this increase. So as I start to wrap up, I want to thank you, our loyal WBAI listeners, for tuning in today, especially during this trying time. I want to thank our guests, uh, the CUNY Chancellor Felix Matos Rodriguez, as well as members of Congress Yvette Clark and Max Rose. And I also personally want to thank Reggie Johnson, who's been really terrific at WBAI in helping to guide me on how to do this remotely today, because this is something that's also new to me as I try to embrace this technology. So thank you, Reggie, and also uh, Linda at the station for making this possible for us to work remotely to continue to stay on air at WBAI. I will be back on Sunday with City Watch with my co-host David Brand of the Queen's Daily Eagle and, of course, our intrepid news correspondent, Celeste Katz-Marston. So if you missed any part of today's show, please go to WBAI.org, go to Programs and then Archives. The show will be up at some point later this evening. I want to thank you all for joining me today on the show. My thoughts are with all of you, our listeners, and I do wish you good health in the coming days and weeks. Thank you.